Those Paul Leatherco Bibles are heavy. Make you feel like a better Christian. Okay. All right. I have John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Um, I do love, uh, I was telling Dan this morning, I'm glad he's here. I was just completely convicted um, last week. Um, and that, you know, just to show you, I, I hate sitting in my house, <laughs> seeing someone on my TV. And I still love the message. So praise the Lord for that. One of the things he said, which I thought was so interesting, see, thank you. This is a big test. So good. Um, was when he was sharing about, um, you know, I had no problem having someone drop off a meal, but you're not going to do my laundry. And I would pray that's not how we are here at Brantford, how I am personally. Um, there's limits to when we let people into our lives, and it shouldn't be so. We are in the last night of the Lord Jesus. And again, we keep reiterating this idea of what does he want to say in his last moments? What does he want to say in his last moments? So in John chapter 14, I have verses 1 through 7. It might be a familiar passage to you. Let's read it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him. And have seen him. Let's look to the Lord. Lord, thank you for another Sunday where we can open up your word. We pray that this would not be another normal Sunday, but your spirit would control me and control the room. That uh, you have all power to completely change us, but I know you are also gracious and you have given us will. So we pray that we would submit our wills to you during this time. That we might hear what you would have to say and we might be a changed people. Uh, for your glory, and even for our benefit in your grace. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. We have the command, the confusion, and the character. The command. Jesus starts here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We talked about it before. I think fear not is used 365 times in the Bible. Okay. Why are they troubled? Remember, he just told them during this night he's going away, that they can't follow him. One of him, one of them will betray him. And then he told Peter, and you're going to deny me. There's a lot to be troubled about. <laughs> and again, I want to remember the character of our Lord Jesus, who, if anything, he should be like, hey, guys. It's time to give me some encouragement. I'm about to go on the cross. He does not make it about himself at all, which, again, is very convicting. If you're going through a troubling time, sometimes I remember Brian Sorrell, another life-changing message, saying if you're having a hard time in your life, the best thing you can do is go try to figure out how to help someone else. Get your mind off yourself. 
And I think that would be good advice for us even now. The Lord Jesus, during his last 24 hours, does not... In fact, there's one thing he asked for himself in John 17. And uh, it would be that uh, we could be with him. That's his one, his one time he asked for his own will, that we could be with him. But here he's saying, don't be troubled. And why should they not be troubled? Well, it's like Dan was saying last week, this is basic Christianity 101. The reason we are not to be troubled in life, and, and we've said it a lot of times, and it seems like we're not talking about it enough, maybe I'm not talking about it enough in my own personal life, is that heaven's coming. That, that is why we shouldn't be troubled. In my father's house, the man he made hey, I'm going to go prepare a place. He's coming again. All that is wrapped up in these two or three verses. Heaven is coming. That's why you're not supposed to be troubled. Because the future is bright, regardless of how dark it is down here. There was a lady, Gracie, who took care of a boy during the later days of his life. He was dying of lung cancer. In the last stages, the lungs fill up with fluid and the patient's unable to breathe. This little boy had a Christian mom who loved him and stayed by his side through the whole thing. She would cradle him on his lap, talk softly to him about the Lord. Gracie told me that when she entered uh, into the room one day, as death approached, she heard this boy talking about hearing bells. The bells are ringing, Mom. I can hear them. Gracie thought he was hallucinating because he was already slipping away. She left and returned a few minutes later and again heard him talking about hearing bells. The nurse said to his mom, I'm sure you know your baby's hearing things that aren't there. He's hallucinating because of the cancer. The mom pulled her son closer to the chest and said, No, Miss Shuffler, he's not hallucinating. Wow, I really thought that whole time I was going to cry. Like, I was on paragraph three in my notes, and I was like, This is great. He said, I told him when he was frightened, when he couldn't breathe, if he would listen carefully, he could hear the bells of heaven ringing for him. And that's what he's been talking about all day. And that child would die later that evening. I just want to encourage this again. And I, I say it again to myself. I keep saying this. But we're not talking about heaven enough. As this world's kind of a little crazy. We get heaven. That's why our hearts should not be troubled. It shouldn't be troubled. And what is the point of heaven? The whole point of heaven is what he says here. That I said a little bit there in verse 3. That where I am you may be also. Talk about a vulnerable heart. Jesus Christ is sitting there with disciples, with one that just betrayed him, with telling Peter, yeah, you're going to deny me, in this upper room sitting, listen, I want you to be with me. And I, I, I'm going to do everything I have to that you can be with me where I am. And that's going to mean going to the cross. That's going to be rising again from the grave. That's going to be a, a, a return later on down the road. All these things that they might be with me where I am. That is the joy of heaven. Listen, as a kid, I used to think the coolest part about heaven, hopefully I can fly. Okay? There's going to be some gold there, hopefully a lot of great fishing. Definitely food. And then, I actually, like, even as a kid, I was like, and the singing's probably going to be amazing. If that's your joy, looking forward to heaven, then you need to grow up. Because the joy of heaven is who's there. <laughs> It's seeing Jesus and hanging out with him. And I said before, 
I don't know how heaven works theologically, but I imagine it's just me and him for about a million years. Then you guys get to join later. I just, I just want to hang out and, and, and hopefully me and him. And then we do those things together. Fish, fly. <laughs> but now hopefully I'm maturing to the point where I look forward to heaven because Jesus is there. And that's why our hearts shouldn't be troubled. That's where he was. But then there comes some confusion. Here we have, in verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? The interesting thing about this passage for the first time, as I've read this over and over, is what he just did. Listen closely. He just called Jesus a liar. Because the verse before it, he says, And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. And his humanistic response is, we don't know where we're going. In other words, Jesus, you're wrong. You're wrong. I want you to think about that. How many times we don't even realize it. We read our Bible, don't like a verse, don't like a passage, don't like what another brother or sister is saying to us. You're wrong. You're wrong, God not how it is I just wrap my mind over this over and over how many times in our Christian walks we go there must be another way when you're faced with a crisis of obedience and you know either you're going to obey and do something tough or you're not going to obey and you're going to give in to your flesh and, we, and in our minds we kind of go it's just got to be another way we actually know the way, as Jesus was true, because he's always true, right? We actually know what the way is. We just don't want to do it because it's going to be dying to self. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the way the way is going to work. I'm going to go die. And you know the way, too. You know how to get to heaven. It's through me. It's through me. You guys know that. You've been with me for three years. But sometimes the price tag is us dying to self. On a daily basis as well. And so when we're stuck in moments where we wrestle with our flesh and we don't want to simply submit to the Lord, it's not that we don't know the way. It's just that we just don't want to die to self. And we are constantly saying, there's got to be another way. Almost every movie does this, right? There's always a great science fiction movie where there's some alien or something attacking the earth and the main character has to be the one to die to blow up the alien or the, you know, whatever the enemy is. There's always this crucial scene at the end of the movie where they were going to, like, throw a bomb at the alien or something like that, and it didn't work, so they have to be the one carrying the bomb. And another character always goes, there's got to be another way. And everyone on the ship goes, there is no other way. And someone dies that others might live. Jesus just said, you know the way. And he goes, we don't know the way. So who's right or wrong in that scene? Who's right or wrong? He knows the way. Then, there's the character. How can we know the way? And this is where Jesus has this famous line. I'm the way truth and the life no one comes to the father 
except through me. I'm the way. I'm the way through life. I'm the way to heaven. I'm the one that shows you how to do life. Okay, Lord. Well, how can I trust you? You know, a lot of people claim they know how to do life. A lot of people claim they know what happens after we die. Well, that's because I'm also truth. You can trust me. Okay, but even if I trust you, if you're truth and you're the way, what if I just don't have energy to obey anyway? (laughs) What if I know myself, and I know I always mess up, so even if you are the way and what you're saying is true, I just can't do it. That's right. That's why I'm the life. I'm the one that gives eternal life. He's covered all the bases. He's covered all the bases that we don't have to sit there and try to do it ourselves. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Well, let's break it down a little bit. The way. I'm reminded again. As we quickly go this morning. It's a narrow way. It's not wide. It's narrow. In those passages in Matthew where it says many are on that road of a wide road that leads to destruction. Many are on that road. To try to be on the narrow road means you're the minority. We should have a testimony again as Christians that when the world looks at us, even if they hate us, they say something like, not many think like that. Not many act like that. Not many love like that. Not many. Not many. If you want to follow the Lord, I want to remind us again as we talk about basic Christianity, you will be a minority. If you really, really want to be mature in your faith, you will most likely be a minority amongst Christians. Because that's history. Read through the book. (laughs) Not many get on the narrow way. Not many. And that's the way. That's the way. He's also the truth. I'm reminded that truth is absolute. Absolutely. There was a professor who started every class with a jar full of beans, and he asked his students to guess how many beans are in the jar. Now on a big pad of paper, write down their estimate. And then next to that, he also wanted to make another list, their favorite songs. When the lists were complete, he reveals the actual number of beans in the jar. The whole class looks over their guesses to see what estimate was closest to being right. Then he turns to their list of favorite songs, and he goes, and which one of you was closest to being right with these songs? The students always protest and say there is no right answer. A person's favorite song is purely a matter of taste. So then he says something like this. When you decide what to believe in in terms of your faith, is that more like guessing the number of beans or more like choosing your favorite song? And they always say from old as well as young, choosing one faith is more like choosing a favorite song. As in, there's no absolute. How do you approach Scripture? Is biblical truth for you like choosing your favorite song? 
you have one preference, someone else has another? Or is it like the number of beans in a jar? It's a fact, an unchangeable reality. Listen, the gospel is also exclusive. He says, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was driving the other day, and some of you have seen that. We love everyone. We love all genders. We love all, I don't know, animals. They go through a whole list. One of them I saw the other day, we love and accept all religions. And I have, it could be my personality, but I've gotten some conversations with people at work that I had a good relationship with who are not believers, saying, listen to me, you got to understand this. You cannot say, you know, Muslim, Christianity, uh, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, they're all kind of the same. They all get you to heaven. I was like, I don't know that much about the other ones. Make that claim about those. But you can't ever say that about Christianity. Because Jesus himself said there's only one way. So either he's lying and you've got to throw the whole thing out, or you ignore it. You cannot say everyone works. Don't lump Christianity into that. Lump the other ones in. But I'm telling you, if you know anything about Christianity, you cannot say other people get to heaven. It's the bedrock foundation of what the faith believes. And they'll still look at me and go, no, but you don't get it. And they literally supersede themselves over the faith itself and go, no, no, but we can interpret it this way. Okay. Okay, everyone goes to heaven. Sure. There's a truth to where Jesus said, I'm the only way you can get to heaven. No one's coming through to heaven except through me. That's it. End of story. That's it. And we would be a people that should be conscious to not lie to others in trying to witness and going, well, I know there's other faiths out there and stuff like that. Our faith says, no, there's one way. One way. Finally, he is the life. Everything we need in this life is from him. But he's also the one that gives eternal life. And again, this goes back in this little theme in these couple verses. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled because the end game is I want to be with you forever in heaven. And I'm the one that has eternal life. So I can give that to you. That's what my goal is, to give you eternal life. And I thought it was interesting that this isn't the first time he said he's the life. If you go back to John 11, in verse 25, he's talking to Martha, and he says, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then comes the question, do you believe this? I just thought it was fitting to this passage. We have all heard the Sunday school verse. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We've turned it into songs. We've turned it into camp themes. We've turned it into numerous things. And at the end of the day, Jesus is still asking, do you believe it, though? Do you believe it? Because if we actually believed 
that he has given us eternal life, if we actually believe that he is life, if we actually took him at his word, it would absolutely change our frame of mind down here. We wouldn't be the same. And so as I struggle in my faith or I don't obey him, all it is is a lack of trust. It is me looking when I read scripture and go, I just don't want to do that. That's tough. It's me going, I don't believe that you have my best interests at heart. That's what it means. Jesus has said on his last night with the disciples, guys, on the way of the truth and the life. Do you believe it or not? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are trustworthy even when we don't feel like it, even if we don't act on it. Uh, we just like to publicly say you are absolutely trustworthy. And we should put everything, our wills, our lives, everything into your hands and say you do what you want with us. For we cannot fail living for you. Lord, help us to live these things out. They're so basic and yet uh, so tough to do on a daily kind of life. Lord, I'm sorry that you have proven yourself over and over and over again. And yet we would need encouragement and edifying and exhorting to just help us increase our faith that we might trust you more. Thank you that your heart's desire was to look after how your disciples were doing instead of yourself. And we thank you that your heart's desire today is to look after how we are doing in life spiritually and that you would have our best interests at heart. Thank you so much for being the way, the truth, and the life. In your name, amen.